Well, good morning. I want to welcome you to Central this morning and invite you to turn in your Bible to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to be studying verses 25 to 29 there this morning. We've been studying Galatians in these first three chapters. Paul's been demonstrating that God's grace changes everything. And through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are justified. That is an act of God where he pardons all of our sin and accepts us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Jesus credited to us, given to us, and we receive it through faith alone. That vertical relationship that we have with God is secure because of the work of Christ who died on the cross and was raised from the dead to keep God's promise of forgiveness and reconciliation. And now as we begin to turn to the end of chapter 3 and beginning of chapter 4, the Apostle Paul connects that vertical relationship with God to our horizontal relationships with one another. He begins to introduce language of adoption and being included in God's family because that vertical relationship we have have with the Lord sets us on a new horizon of relationships with one another. Or maybe we could put it this way. Because we belong to God through faith, we also belong to one another in his family. Let's pray together as we turn to his word. Lord, we ask that you would send your spirit and open our eyes that we would behold Jesus here. Open our ears that we hear your call to us and change our will that we might follow after you as your dearly loved children, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians 3, beginning in verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stand forever. In this world, we are all, to one degree or another, looking for some way to count. We want to know where we matter. We want to know who I am and why I'm important. What's my dignity? What's my beauty in this life. We're all looking for an identity that gives us a reason and a place to count. I had a friend who uh, tried on different personas each year in high school to try to find a place where he counted. He was a jock one year. He was a skater one year. He was a rapper one year. One year he decided he wanted to be a prep and that's where he ended up. The rest of his life he stuck there. All because he's looking for an identity looking for a place to matter, his people who will receive him and count his life significant. The Apostle Paul in last week's lesson told us that obedience can never give us that place to count. It can never give us that dignity and that that rootedness, that firm place from which to stand. For that we have to have a promise, an unbreakable promise of God that Christ is our rock, Christ is our fortress. And all of our lives rest upon not our up and down obedience, but rather his promise to save us as his people and place us in his dearly loved family. 
This week, he continues that theme by calling us a family of sons. In verse 26, he said, all who believe are sons of God. And that's significant to this Jewish and Gentile group together in the churches in Galatia. Because all throughout the Old Testament, in Exodus, in Deuteronomy, Jeremiah, Hosea, lots of other places, Israel was called the sons of God. The Jewish people were sons of God, but no one else was. And circumcision was that sign that that they belonged as sons. And what Israel proclaimed is, we are sons and you aren't. We are the special providential people of God receiving his promises, the only people who belong to him. And Paul comes to say, that's changed. Remember that old song that maybe you learned in Sunday school, Father Abraham? Remember that Father Abraham and many sons? You could probably sing it with me. Many sons at Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so were you. So let's just praise the Lord. There we go. Listen to that. It's amazing. It's a wonderful hymn. The promise of God makes us into a family where we inherit the promises of God, and it brings forth praise from his people. But one commentator suggested that the Judaizers, those Jewish Christians here in Galatia who wanted everyone to become Jews first, they sang a little bit of a different version of Father Abraham. Theirs went like this. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons said, Father Abraham, and I am one of them, but you are not. So let's all get together for a little procedure we like to call circumcision. It was through that law of circumcision that gave these people a sense that they belonged to God, that they were sons of God, special, beautiful in God's eyes. But what Paul says here is that's not the case anymore. What makes someone who's not an heir of God, a son of the promise, into one is faith. Anyone and everyone can be called sons of God. Men and women can be called sons of God, heirs of the promise through faith. Every kind of sinner, every kind of person can have the beauty and the dignity of belonging to God through believing that promise. Do you want to know who you are? you want to know why you're significant, why you count? It's through faith you are called God's son. You are given that title. You are a child of God. Maybe you've been lonely and alienated in your life. Maybe you felt like the only place where you ever fit was the island of misfit toys. But now, you've been placed in a family. You've been placed in God's family, where there is no longer insider and outsider, but we're all God's children through faith in what Jesus has done. This morning, I'd like for us to briefly consider what Paul has to say here about our dignity and beauty as a family of sons, those who are heirs of God his dearly loved children. The first thing that I'd like for us to see is that God gives us dignity and beauty as individuals. As an individual person, you have a beauty and a dignity before God. Look at verse 25. Paul begins, but now we're no longer slaves. We're no longer under that pedagogue that imprisoned as we saw last week, but we are sons of God through faith. We have a father who welcomes us. And it happens not because of our successful obedience, but through faith. And then in verse 27, he uses two really interesting images. The image of being baptized into Christ and having put on Christ or being clothed with Christ. That first one of baptism is an image that marks out who we are. It's like our birth certificate. 
This is the family you belong in. This is whose you are. It declares that you have a family name of belonging to God and you share in the status of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. You're joined together with Jesus and you have the status of his own son, God's own son in the family. You've been made new through the work of Christ. You've been baptized into Christ. But also he says we've put on Christ or being clothed with Christ. In Paul's day, You could tell a lot about a young man by the type of toga he wore. You could tell his status. You could tell how old he was. You could tell what kind of responsibility he had in society. You could even tell something about his family all by the toga a young man wore. By the time he was 14 years old, a young man would would go through the ceremony and be given a toga virilis, which meant you've come of age. A 14-year-old boy would now be able to receive an inheritance as a son. This 14-year-old boy would be able to incur debt on behalf of the family, could represent the family in civic matters, could consider marriage because he was now a young man having the rights of a son. That's the background here. What Paul is saying is spiritually putting on Christ, we've been wrapped around with the toga of Christ. We're covered in Christ, wrapped with the robe of Christ's righteousness, which gives us full acceptance before our heavenly father. It gives us a place at his table. It gives us an inheritance that Jesus has, an inheritance of life, an inheritance of a future, an inheritance of a hope, because we're God's sons. By putting on Christ, we declare to the world that that crucified Savior, the one who went to the cross to pay for my penalty, was raised from the dead in victory and now ascended and sits on the throne of heaven. He gives me my identity. He's the one who tells me who I am. Being in Christ is the fundamental truth about your life. And what that means is you aren't defined by your sins anymore. There's a new life. There's a new power within the sons of God. When I look at you and you look at me, that we should see the most true thing about us is that we are dearly loved children of our heavenly father wrapped about and completely encased in the beauty and dignity of the righteousness of Jesus. We are sons of God. We're not sons and daughters of our accomplishments. That's not our identity or our business successes. It's not our parenting successes, our place in the community, our leadership, even our service here at the church. All those other things that we depend upon for a sense of identity pale in comparison to being a child of God, robed in the righteousness of Jesus, receiving the blessing that belongs to Jesus given to us because we are his heirs. And on the other side, the sins that give you and me that ache of shame, those things don't define you anymore either. We confess our sin and we remember that never-ending fountain of God's grace in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that it is our sin has already been judged in the cross of Jesus. You've been washed clean in the blood of his sacrifice. And so God won't, God can't change his mind about you because you are joined to Jesus, the perfect one through faith. It's easy to forget who we are. It's easy to try on all these different identities and it's easy for us to think that who we are can be reduced to our sin or reduced to our troubles. Like I'm a depressed person. 
I'm a divorced person. I'm an addicted person. Those troubles and those struggles, certainly we struggle with them, maybe even our whole life through, but deepest in your, in your life and in your soul, that's not most truly who you are. You are a person who's been united to Christ through faith with all of his resources available to you, and in his power you struggle against depression, struggle against addiction, struggle with that, that pain of divorce. When we remember that we've put on Christ, we've been united to Christ, we don't struggle by ourselves, but all the resources of heaven have been given to us in the Spirit, that we might walk with him. Friends, I hope you understand you're not primarily your successes nor your failures. You are united, you are connected to Jesus and all that he has done for you, his perfect life of obedience Everything God has expected of you, Jesus has done for you. And he gives you that record of perfection through union, just as if you'd always obeyed yourself. And that death that Jesus died, he died our death as we were united to him on that cross. That curse that's rightfully ours was laid upon Jesus. And now we're clean through his death on the cross and his resurrection, which triumphed over the grave, is ours And all the the trappings of death have been broken in our lives. We are united, connected, labeled with, covered around, wrapped about with the life of Jesus. That's who you are. That's who I see you as. That's who your father sees you as. Can you see yourself as your heavenly father sees you? Dignified and beautiful, united to Jesus. But what Paul says goes further. He says there's dignity and beauty in the community, in the family of God as well. Because these aren't ultimately me statements. Verse 27, when he says you've been baptized into Christ, he's making a we statement. That we are bound together, we are joined together, we are united to one another because we've been bound to Christ. Because we belong to him, we also belong to one another. But that's not how the world sees us. What are the barriers that divide humanity. Race, economics, gender. So many divisions in our world boil down to these fundamental things. And yet Paul suggests that when we join the family of God, the thing the world uses to segregate us no longer divides us. This new family with a new bond of love transcends every way that the world would seek to partition us and divide us. He says things very powerfully in verses, in verse 28, that the ways the world divides us are challenged because we are emphatically all one in Christ. That all is the first word there in that phrase. It's the most important word. All of you are one in Christ. The distinctions of the way the world divides us have nothing to do with belonging to Jesus. Nothing to to do with being heirs of the promise. We are one in Christ. But hear me carefully. That doesn't mean that distinctions no longer exist. That would undercut Paul's entire argument in this book. His whole thrust of this book has been Gentiles and Greeks don't have to become Jews in order to belong to God. You don't have to be circumcised and do all the dietary laws and all the rest. You can belong to God, be a child of God through faith. He's not erasing the distinctions between Jews and Gentiles, much less is he erasing the distinctions between male and female. 
but rather he's saying in your standing before God, belonging to God, and your willingness to receive one another in the family of God, we must remain absolutely committed to one another in love. The distinctions have no place to break our fellowship because grace changes our relationships with each other. We're taken from enmity to love, from division to belonging, from separation to being joined together in one body. In Paul's day, it was like this too. There was a rabbi, very well-known rabbi, Rabbi Judah ben Eli, in Paul's day, who prescribed that male Jews should announce these three blessings every day, every single day. The three are these. Blessed is he who did not make me a Gentile. Blessed is he who did not make me a woman. Blessed is he who did not make me an uneducated man. Those divisions in our culture were divisions in Paul's culture too. The rabbi says, blessed is he who did not make me a Gentile. But in the gospel, Paul says, verse 28, there is no Jew nor Greek. That key division in their world that Jews were chosen special people of God and then there's everybody else. But Paul says in this church, for those who've been baptized into this new family of God, that's now your primary identity and all those old divisions cease. Racial reconciliation is part of God's plan to put us together in his family as his people without distinction of ethnicity. Healing and unity and reconciliation between races by some people in our world today has been shoved into the corner as if it's some liberal woke enterprise. But it's not. What the Apostle Paul here says is that the reconciliation which the gospel produces in the church of the Lord is his plan. That's his hope. That's his, his desire for people of all ethnicities, ethnicities and races to be joined together, belonging to one another in Christ. Any kind of racism has no part in the place where Jesus is joining his people together. It's not woke. That's gospel. We belong together because we belong to Jesus. Paul goes further. He says there's no, neither slave nor free. Our economic strata don't define us. They don't rank us within the people of God. The world may separate us by our birth conditions, wealth, education, privilege, and divide us according to that. But in the people of God, all who wear that toga of Christ have the riches of his inheritance given to us, and we will not be segregated by class distinction. It's beauty and dignity of Christ that define us. The rabbi said, blessed is he who did not make me a woman. But Paul says, in Christ there is no male and female. We're not valued because of our gender. And what a break this was with Paul's day. Women are here called sons. Women are called sons of God who have the the right of inheritance. There's an equal dignity, honor, beauty, value between men and women among the people of God. There is no distinction of male and female, of value in standing before our heavenly father. These words, male and female, aren't what we might expect with husband and wife, but instead, they're the words that mirror Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, which says, and God made them male and female. 
picture here is that in Christ, Jesus is forming a new people, a new creation, free from that oppression and domination of sin and the ways that it twists and perverts God's beautiful world. Where the broken world divides, the gospel of Jesus unites because we are all one in Christ, he says in verse 28. But let's be careful. Let's make sure we hear Paul in his proper way. That doesn't mean, again, that all of our differences are erased because we join together. Men and women retain our beautiful differences that God has given to us. Neither does it mean that we're called to colorblindness. We don't find that in the Bible. But instead, we find in the Bible the way that the Lord lifts up these beautiful different cultures that he's made, lifts up these differences in skin color, differences in in music, in beauty, And he sets us in one family, even in the midst of our difference, even in the midst of our distinction, we're called into one family where we celebrate one another's glory and dignity and beauty. We don't flatten it all out as if we have to be exactly the same. What Paul means is that those things no longer create barriers to fellowship, but we're joined together in fellowship. John Stott put it this way, says, we recognize each other as equals, brothers and sisters in Christ. By the grace of God, we would resist the temptation to despise one another or to patronize one another, for we know ourselves to be all one person in Christ Jesus. He calls us together. Here's what that means for us, I think. We don't bring the world's division into the house of God. We stand together as one in Christ. That's not how we always behave. Over my past five years here at Central, I've heard things that are different from that. I'm gonna aggregate some of the comments together, so don't try to figure out who said this or who said that because you're gonna be wrong. But in my office in the past five years, I've been told that Central is a white church. Central is a wealthy church. Country Club Church. Central is a Trump-loving Republican church. And I've been asked, why are you trying to change us? I knew that's out there. And I knew that's in here. But to say it out loud, it calls it in its proper light. The way I've responded every time is, I'm not trying to change us, but Jesus is. He wants more for us than our provincialism. He wants more for us. He wants the world to see us as his new creation where grace changes everything about how we relate to one another, how we love one another, how we serve one another, how we sacrifice for one another, how we're willing to bear one another's burdens. That's what Jesus does when we've been joined to him and he joins us to one another. This gospel of a a, a bloody cross and an empty tomb and an occupied throne strips us of favoritism that some may belong and others are excluded. Jesus is the one who holds the keys to Central Church and I truly believe that he is doing something here in that forge of the gospel that makes us different. Makes us different from spaces out there where people jockey for position and influence and agenda. We belong because we're united in Christ. We're at his side. We're co-heirs with Jesus in his family. 
Some of you heard me tell this story and I'll close with this. So forgive me for telling it again, but it really fits here. You remember your first date. Remember the person you went with, maybe where you went, what you did on your first date. I don't remember any of those things about my first date. But I do remember one very important thing and it was the talk that my dad had with me before I left the house that day. It was awkward. I was going out to borrow his car and he followed me outside, which he didn't usually do. But he followed me outside that day and as I opened the car door, he said, son, I need to tell you something. And he started his speech. Now, there could have been lots of things that my dad could have said on that day. He could have said, be careful. He could have lectured me on my responsibilities. He could have reminded me to respect this young woman that you're going out on this date with, but that's not what he said. I remember it vividly 35 years later. My dad's speech was four words. He glared at me and he said these four words and then he turned around and walked inside. His four words were these, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Everything that my parents had taught me growing up to that place was, was there. Remember who you are and it changes the way you're gonna live your life. And what the apostle Paul would say to us here today is remember who you are. You've been joined to Jesus. And if you've been joined to Jesus, it will change the way you live your life. If you've been joined to Jesus' family, it will change the way you live your life. People of God, remember who you are. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you have loved us in Christ and you set your affection upon us and you will never let us go. We praise you that you've sent the Lord Jesus to a sacrificial death that you might keep the promise to love a sinful and broken people like us. Father, we remember who we are today. We remember that we belong to you. We remember that we no longer belong to ourselves. We remember that what you say about us is the true thing, not what my sin says about me or what the world says about me or what the accuser says about me. But who you say that I am, that's who I am. Father, we remember that you set us in your family and we ask that you would bind us together as your blood-bought people, that we would love one another and sacrifice for one another without distinction, but we would celebrate one another and how you've made us. We pray that you would grow Central Church into even more deeply a gospel outpost in this city, in this nation, and in this world. Do all that because you've set your heart upon us as your dearly loved children. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.